This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, June 21st, 2011. I'm Caleb Brown. Many states form compacts to achieve ends they would find a bigger challenge alone. But what happens when states try to change federal law or regulation via compact? Many states are trying to turn Medicaid into a block grant program via state-by-state agreement. Will it work? Ilya Shapiro, Senior Fellow in Constitutional Studies at the Cato Institute, comments. Compacts themselves are, are nothing new. There's a compacts clause in the Constitution, which basically says that traits, uh, excuse me, states can't conclude them uh, without congressional approval. As the doctrine de- has developed, however, states do conclude compacts without congressional approval, those that don't implicate federal power. So, for example, two states get together and talk about how they're going to dispose of uh, low, uh, low-level radioactive uh, material or how they're going to deal with the river that runs between them. Uh, anything like this, the New York-New Jersey uh, compact for the, the, tr- the uh, Port Authority or the Mar- Maryland-D.C.-Virginia compact about the, uh, the Washington Metro. Other states subscribe, in essence, to a body of regulation regarding insurance and things like that. That's right. Or uh, payment of... Uh, uh, child support and enforcement of, of orders about child support and any number of things like that. So the idea of a compact generally is not radical at all. Indeed, it's foundational to the Constitution. What's different about this and others that have been proposed as a kind of Tea Party or, or Tea Party-esque or a pro-federalism uh, reaction uh, to some of the excesses of federal power, especially in the Obamacare vein, is that... Uh, uh, here, they're, they're, they are trying to go against federal regulation and reassert state sovereignty. Now, the one that's been making news lately, the one that the Texas Senate approved and that has been going through, I think, Oklahoma, Georgia, some other places, um, creates an interstate exchange, or at least a bureaucracy, you know, the, you know, an agency, an interstate agency that would receive all federal Medicare and Medicaid monies and distribute them according to a certain type of formula and also have its own types of regulations or provisions for opt-outs by the states. So in effect, it would displace federal law, Obamacare and and some um, uh, Medicare and Medicaid regulations that pre-existed Obamacare. What's necessary for this, however, is congressional approval. So clearly the proponents of this are banking on the Republicans taking the Senate in 2012 uh, and then gaining approval in, in both houses of Congress without having to present this as a piece of repeal or other legislation uh, to the president. Uh, it's an interesting gambit because, for example, senators defer to other senators based on what they think is good for their particular state without having to impose it on the nation at large. There has been some criticism or at least um, commentary to the effect of, well, this is much too hard and complicated. You can go about doing the same thing in the healthcare and other uh, federalism uh, vein uh, in different ways. Nick Dranius at the Goldwater Institute, who we team up with on, on amicus briefs and other things, has proposed a way to combine different states' health care freedom acts uh, because there's actually already congressional pre-approval for any state compacts having to do with mutual enforcement of criminal laws. This is a long-standing thing that, again, implicates these uh, payment of child support and if you catch a fugitive felon and all host of different criminal justice-related issues. Uh, and here, if different states have different Health Care Freedom Acts, which say that it's illegal to force someone to buy health insurance, well, and you engage in a compact where different states will in, uh, uh, enforce these different Health Care Freedom Acts, in theory, you do have a compact relating to criminal justice that doesn't need congressional approval. 
this has never been tested. I mean, the, the case law on compacts in general is is very, uh, it's neither pro nor anti-federalism. It's just weak. There's not a lot of, of cases to this effect. In fact, there's there's one case that even says that, that you don't need congressional approval in, in certain circumstances. Um, so this is the type of federalism innovation that, that is going on. There are legal and political uh, strengths and weaknesses to all of these different things. And, and getting outside the healthcare realm, there's uh, firearms freedom acts that are being passed by different states. So that saying that if the firearm or ammunition is manufactured uh, in and for the exclusive use in the particular state, uh, then the federal gun regulations can't be enforced against it. You know, if the states come together to mutually enforce their Firearm Freedom Act. So this, these sorts of things uh, are being proposed in, in a number of areas, and it's still uh, a very uh, innovative and, and, and young area of, of public policy uh, where neither the law nor the politics are clear. Since we're a good bit down the road in terms of states having many kinds of compacts that they do have that, that do not have congressional approval, um, and there is very little case law on it, does that automatically redound to the benefit of one side of this argument or the other? I don't think so. I mean, just like the whole Obamacare challenge, the the assertion of federal power to require people to buy something under the guise of regulating commerce, just like that's unprecedented and could ultimately, you know, we could lose, that could ultimately be upheld by the Supreme Court. Um, you know, here, this is an unprecedented type of compact. Doesn't make it necessarily right or wrong. You know, they're trying to follow along uh, based on on what's out there, uh, and some of them could work, some of them uh, might fail. I don't have a firm view yet. It seems to line up just because of this dearth of case law. Obviously, it'll be challenged uh, if uh, you know ever the federal and state regulations resulting from these compacts come to blows. There'll, there'll be litigation over this, and we will eventually have more concrete legal authority. But uh, on the face of it, this is a a very plausible uh, and and like I said, innovative and and libertarian uh, pro constitution. Uh, approach to balancing state and federal sovereignty. Again, not putting the states over the federal government, but reasserting the idea that ours is a government of dual and indeed tripartite sovereignty, if you include the individual sovereignty aspect in there as well. Ilya Shapiro is a senior fellow in constitutional studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at cato.org.